Greetings, and welcome to another episode of Pops Collection, where we dissect and reflect on a movie or TV show from my Pops Collection. I'm Ron Tweedy, joining me is Pops, and today we're going to be talking about The Amazing Spider-Man 2. Uh, hello, everybody. How are you doing? Another creative title, The Amazing Spider-Man 2. It's, I guess we could almost call it a reboot of Spider-Man 2, except different villains yeah i know i'm just i'm i'm giving a reach out there uh yeah this was uh released uh may 2nd 2014 which yep. pretty close to comic free comic book day yeah yeah it would probably yeah. coincide with that yeah because that's usually when it happens right yeah uh now this one had a little bit higher budget mm -hmm. than the previous film um, which I think it might have had to do with the star names that they added to this uh, particular movie. Uh, it did gross less. It grosses almost $710 million, but, you know, really less than the last one. Mm. Uh, but I did like uh, some parts of it. I thought this movie uh, actually... Uh, moved around quite a lot, which I think it uh, made it less uh, less dead spots, maybe. Okay. I don't know. Well, you know, I was trying to chronologically write down things that I wanted to talk about, and then I'd like lay it out, and then I'd like, oh, wait a minute, I got to draw an arrow because that happened before this thing, and, yeah. you know, how did you feel about it? Well, I think that's actually a good explanation about the film because I think that there are too many things going on in too many different directions for it to be a, a really solid, cohesive movie. Um, you know, uh, the special effects, the actors, the performances, all were great. But the fact is, is that... Um, Yeah, just just a lot of stuff going on at once, and you, there there's there's too much I think to keep track of in the film. So, right. Well, I this one, you know, unlike the first one that I chose to watch it twice uh, because I enjoyed that. Mm -hmm. The second one I had to watch it twice so I could like, uh, you know get things kind of straight in my mind what i wanted to talk about and say wait a minute did this happen when did this happen you know right so it was uh for different reasons mm -hmm. uh i do have to say that i did enjoy uh getting more of their explanation of richard and mary parker's uh demise mm -hmm. uh you know and also uh, why Spider-Man was Spider-Man and uh, didn't happen, didn't turn into lizard like the lizard guy, you know, like, you know, the doctor in the first movie, you know? Yeah, and I think we did talk about that a little bit last week about how, why there are multiple Spider-Men if, if the, those spiders were in long-term development and there was an actual explanation, which was unexpected, but I, I, I appreciate the... Uh, you know, them trying to find the boundaries of their story. Um, I think that's actually 
pretty that that was good on them to do it that way yes um but yeah before we jump into too much of the movie itself we can t maybe take a look at some of the source material and oh uh, good talk about, thank you uh the couple characters that we got introduced to in this one so obviously the first one i thought of us doing is talking about max dylan slash electro uh, in this one, you can definitely tell uh, he looks nothing like his uh, movie counterpart. <laughs> no, I wonder, one. did you get any other uh, visions of him? Any uh, I other? No, I, I didn't at this point, but, um, you know, this one's obviously a classic. Uh, oh, without a doubt. Pete uh, Dicko uh, slash Stanley creation. Yes. Know. And obviously this one has no real ties to Oscorp. It's more about uh, this uh, guy who was a lineman gets electrified and now he uses his powers to rob banks and stuff like that. So very, very typical uh, superhero plot from the, the from the beginning. So it's not like it's a you know this uh, tangled web of Oscorp's tentacles extending far around Peter's world. So that's a big big departure, but obviously not surprising given the. Um, you know the story that they wanted to tell but you know right this is this was the same director as uh, did the first amazing spider-man yeah um and so i think he basically it's a continuation of uh the yeah. first story right uh what i did find interesting uh the way they chose to use oscorp as uh, a company that did a lot of animal experiments sure you know yeah. uh i did think it was kind of neat when we talk about max dillon yeah uh that uh you know he was working in an area that was trying to get electricity without you with using animals using electric eels right which uh i thought it was kind of comical you know in some ways but uh it was a good explanation one thing i do have to say that i really thought that their depiction of electro was pretty cool yeah I you know agree. i like that a lot yeah um more so than uh although the ultimate uh version of it is a little similar mm -hmm. but i like this version better than that uh but before we got to electro you forgot to talk about alexi yeah right so yeah that's another one uh the reason why i didn't do it right away is because this the first appearance of max dylan electro is spider-man number nine which is very early in the run so you know he's the earlier one but we didn't get the rhino uh, till much till not, number 41 bit. exactly and we have a different artist this is john ramita senior as, yes. as if you couldn't tell and so obviously uh very similar to the rhino in this one part of the russian mafia and obviously it's a little bit different in that uh there's the uh the looming soviet union the red menace uh undertones in this comic as opposed to the uh russian uh things happening uh in the 2000s a little bit of a different animal so uh right you know. they were stealing um yeah. uh radioactive isotopes from oscorp yeah. right right so anyway you got you got that 
But then I think the big thing we need to talk about is the uh, one of the big Marvel events that I wasn't introduced to until the uh, the cards came out, and this was uh, Series 3, where you have the uh, death of Gwen Stacy. This is one of the, I think, big moments in Marvel history here. So that, that was my first introduction of that, and that doesn't actually end up happening until Amazing Spider-Man 121 and 122, as the, uh, the back of the card uh, talks about. And so, you know, I've got a couple of panels from that there. You can see... You know, like the movie, Green Goblin is responsible, ultimately. He's fighting on top of a bridge. And uh, just like in the movie, he thinks he rescues her, but instead the uh, the impact ends up snapping her neck, and uh, she ends up dying. Uh, very similar to that. And so, uh, you know, you have this iconic splash page at the very end of issue 121, where he's, you know, holding Gwen Stacy in his arms, and he's swearing revenge to uh, to the Green Goblin who he didn't know at the time, I don't think, was uh, Norman Osborn, so. Right, which, and there, and they classed uh, Harry in this movie right. as the Green Goblin. Yep. Where it really, in the comics, he would be the Hobgoblin, right? No, Harry does take the mantle of Green Goblin uh, eventually, which is kind of a surprise to him, because at the time, he and Harry were roommates, and he finds out that, you know, he knows that Norman Osborn has been killed and someone else is taking up the mantle of Green Goblin. He has no idea who it is and ends up being his best friend who and roommate Harry at the time. So Right, in the comics. That's what I'm saying. Yes. Okay, well, I thought that it was, uh, like I said, it, it was so scattered around that it, it first time tough to follow a little bit, you know? Yeah. Well, I, I, I mean, the the big thing for me that took me out of it was uh, the introduction of Harry as a character and Norman, bless so Norman. But but the the fact is, like you know, there's this, um, you know, they were best friends, but he got sent off to boarding school, and so like they had to kind of reestablish their friendship that they're supposed to have had for a very long time. And to me, it's like I don't know that it wasn't. Uh, very believable to me unlike no, unlike it, unlike the Raimi version where you know it's very apparent you know right right off the bat that James Franco and Tobey Maguire that you could definitely tell they were best buds but uh oh yes not for, so much because movie. it went through uh more than one movie you know they were able to share that where they went to school together in that one right whereas this one he gets shipped off to boarding school right um and the guy that they got to play, Norman Osborn, yeah, uh, he is a good actor. You know, everybody in this uh, film is good actors, but I think that that it struggles maybe from the writing, possibly. Sure. Um, which uh, you know they have um, Alistair Smythe in this, uh, which is. Uh, the gentleman that played the doctor with the glasses yeah. at uh, Ravenscroft. Mm -hmm. uh, he actually, that was uh, B.J. Novak. No, B.J. Novak he, wasn't, wasn't him. B.J. Novak was the boss of Max Dillon. He wasn't at Ravenscroft. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. That's right. I'm sorry. But <laughs> B.J. Novak on, he wrote, you know, for uh, the office right and so you know he wrote some really good stuff there that he should have he was there hey you know 
It's it's different. I I don't agree with that. This different genre completely. You know, writing for a mockumentary is different than writing for an action adventure movie. Well, that is true, but I mean, he had experience as a writer, you know. So, but I don't know. I I'm just saying he could have helped a little bit, you know. Yeah, he was. Uh, yeah, that's Alistair Smythe, right? Which actually in the comics is a bad guy. Right. Which so I, I wouldn't be surprised if we see that character return in the Morbius film coming up. Oh, maybe. Yeah. Maybe. Although uh, that's one you're not going to want to go see in the theater, right? Or do you? I haven't been convinced that it would be worth seeing, but you know. No. Well, we'll get into that at another time. But uh, uh, I like the... First part where we get with uh, Mary and Richard in the plane. Yeah. That so was shades of Goldfinger. You know? I guess. Well, kind of, you know? I'm just saying, you had a plane scene where, you know, he sh Bond shot a hole through the window and the bad guy flew out the window. Okay. Yeah. Okay. You know? Got it. Got it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Got it. All right. Yep. I mean, just. That was uh, one of my uh, issues that uh, been there, done that, seen that. Uh, then the next thing that uh, really was crazy that also kind of connected that story was Roosevelt, mm -hmm. you know, in the subway. Yeah. And then that kind of reminded me a little bit of Ninja Turtles. Okay. You know, yeah. <laughs> the number three, your favorite one. Okay. You know? <laughs> Uh, just the subway part of it, you know, having that uh, thing come up out of the ground. It's like, oh, okay. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if that was even a real thing. I mean, he did have his own car, I guess, you know, yeah. but did it come out of the ground like that? I don't know. No. It just, it was really funky, you know? Yeah. Uh, but, uh, and then the next thing that I wanted to talk about is its relationship with Gwen. Yeah. You know, mm -hmm. it's kind of, he sees Captain Stacy every time he goes out. Right. And he promised that he didn't, wasn't going to have a relationship with her. Right. Or bring her in. And then he does, and then he doesn't, and he does, and he doesn't. Right. Which they really didn't develop any of that. They just all of a sudden at the graduate after the graduation meet for dinner and she's well i break up with you mm -hmm. you know and so we got that it's like it like i said it got too scattered around well i think that's appropriate because you know we have to remember that these are a couple of teenagers and you know to have a immaturity about them about navigating relationships i think is totally uh appropriate it's just a matter of you know i i, I that that didn't bother me i thought that was handled fine i didn't have an issue with it okay. i will say that um emma stone's performance as uh gwen stacy i think she is the the standard which, you know, I will judge other Gwen Stacy's. I think she's actually like the, the best Gwen Stacy. Um, 
she looks just like her in the uh from like oh yeah i mean like it's a great it's yeah i mean they did an amazing job with the the makeup and the styling of her hair and her make you know everything was just i think perfect um so i don't know to, to me i think that that was i think one of the highlights of the film is uh her performance as quinn stacy right and what did you think about uh uh his performance as uh, spider-man this time around that you know it's it's one of those things where i have to remember like i mean andrew garfield is the same age as i am born the same year and so you know i'm trying to remember what i was doing in 2014 it wasn't you know graduating high school <laughs> that's for sure no no <laughs> um so there's that like because like sometimes they will play he will portray uh peter parker who is you know late teens you know particularly when interacting with gwen and then the whole subplot of rediscovering his dad's you know secret thing and whatnot is not something a teenager would do i don't think i think someone older would end up doing that it really gave me vibes of superman's fortress of solitude you know um that seems to me like an older peter would be doing that right well you know kind of the story uh is that uh clark's out of high school yeah when he finds the fortress so he's kind of in the same age that uh gar andrew's trying to portray i i don't think so not in at least not in man of steel man of steel he's older that's true that's true which i still find him to be uh the version i like the most really as Henry far Cavill. as yeah yeah i do I, I i agree with you i'm just surprised that uh you're not christopher reeve person well i like christopher reeves but he's more a comic book uh type uh boy next door mm-hmm was his version sure. where uh, you know man of steel it just took it down a different path you oh, know yeah. very much different. which i think is probably the right path okay you know i know that we got uh the other story in the comics you know with the boy next door type thing but sure. this uh the man of steel seemed to be more of a reality type version mm-hmm. i thought yeah i don't disagree but we're not talking on about that case this was not a reality version of peter parker in some ways i think it was but in other ways i don't know like i said i think i think if they changed it to where they were maybe five years older it probably would have been a better film but um yeah Yeah, and then for uh, that whole thing with Oscorp and the uh, betrayal yeah. of the executives, yeah, you know, all that stuff was just like so way out there. Then uh, to blame Harry and try to yeah, I mean, you I, know, take over the I, does that sound like a reality? Oh, I mean, that was basically what happened in the Dark Knight Rises right um you know it that that had lots of 
callbacks to that and the Dark Knight, you know, with uh, Bruce Wayne kind of getting ousted by his own company. And, you know, we see that with Oliver Queen in the Arrowverse. You know, that, that, that plot line happens all the time. And I'm sure, you know, so I, I don't think there's anything wrong with that one. Uh, it's just, in fact, actually, I think that was the entire plot of uh, the first season of Iron Fist. Now that I think about it. Um, so, yeah. So that happens all the time. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. So you were good with that. That that was fine. Uh, it you know to me, not having either of the Osborns actually have a real presence in the first Spider-Man movie is kind of jarring to have them, you know, have a much all more of pronounced... a sudden show yeah. up, especially so. since uh, you know Connors worked for Oscorp mm-hmm. and Gwen Stacy worked for Oscorp, right? And yet you didn't see him right at all in the first movie. That's true. So, and anyway. then try to saturate it in the second. Yeah, exactly. So, um, what did you think about their depiction of New York? Uh, you know, as far as the uh, buildings and, you know, well, the they, big electro bash. Yeah, I mean, that, that part, I think the first interaction with peter and max where in times square i thought that was yes. done really well right and but then after that yeah i mean the, the, it, the, their the, next depiction it just didn't well the, the big i don't final, know the final battle is like in a, a power grid so you know you're not really expecting it to be in the middle of new york so i i'm fine with that i mean i think there was a it was definitely a memorable fight scene and it was a memorable way they put that all together so I, I i thought that was done fine yeah okay and uh then harry's uh version of green goblin you like that yeah not not super much thank you thank you, know, you. William, will will defoe's uh you know sam raimi's vision of the green goblin i think is the standard and um you know even harry's version of the goblin in spider-man 3 uh was better than this one so I thank you very much because uh, I that just like took me so aback. Yeah. Now I I do have to say that uh Giamatti <laughs> he is a great character actor, you know? Yeah. yeah. I mean <laughs> to play a Russian, yeah, like he did. Yeah, you know, and, and I have to say that his makeup was good. Yeah, that's fine. Uh, you know, it was. <laughs> I loved it, and I did kind of love the depiction of the rhino too. I yeah. thought that was interesting. Yeah, I mean, I, I I get the reason why they went that direction. It's fine. You know, I, I would say you know, shades of Transformers almost. Yeah. You know. Yeah, yeah I can see that. But uh, that was cool. The little kid. At the end, and yeah. the you know facing the rhino, that was like that, that was cool. wow. I liked it. That, I think that was well yeah. done. That was well yeah. Done. Well, there were quite a few things that were well done in here. Yeah. Um, I thought for the majority, other than uh, the goblin costume, I thought it was done really good. Yeah, you know? I, I think, and that that is kind of the challenge that they that they set up for themselves is that. You know, I, I do agree that the right choice for them was to do the death of Gwen Stacy as the big, you know, plot point that happens here. 
And I do agree that the, the you can't do it justice without Green Goblin being the one responsible. Like if you had if they had Electro responsible for the death of Gwen Stacy, it wouldn't it be the same? No. So different. I understand they had to do that. The problem is is that when you have to spend so much time setting all of that up, it becomes a distraction. And, and you know, then adding in the subplot with Peter's parents and the Roosevelt station and then adding you know, Electro and his old thing, and then adding at the, on top of that Rhino and his thing. And, and so it's like all of those things together make it a convoluted mess. It, you could, I think you could have made these into two separate movies, and then that way you'd have Amazing Spider-Man 1, 2, and 3. And, you know, I think if you focused on Harry and Death of Gwen Stacy in Act 2, and then in Act 3, Electro and rhino that would have been i think a better choice in fact if there's any amateur uh editors out there that make a that would that would make that happen that would be interesting to see a a cut making spider-man 2 spider-man 2 and 3 that would be interesting like you said definitely i think that uh that's definitely one of the things that the movie suffered from from going to so many things because let's face it they had to develop uh, Peter and Gwen's re relationship a lot deeper, so the death yeah. of Gwen Stacy becomes more, yeah. you know. Yeah, and, and even the introduction to Mary Jane Watson would have been actually, I think, helpful to pad that out for right. Act 2. Well, I have to say that uh, they did they did have cast someone to be Mary Jane, Okay, and they actually did some um, scenes with Mary Jane that got cut out on the cutting floor. So interesting. She never, she never got to be in the movie and she didn't get credit for anything. So, yeah. And I will say that they did pr uh, introduce uh, another one of Spider-Man's love interests and in, in that uh, Felicia Hardy from, Oh yes. A, as the assistant to Norman Osborn, which who in the comics becomes black cat. So that's, yes. Um, yes. That was interesting. Yes, and uh, she just—they just called her uh, Felicia in the movie. Right, right. Obviously, uh, like but, how, how many women in Spider Verse are named Felicia? Right. That's true. That's the that reason why true. I made that connection right away. So. Oh yeah, it was like light bulb, you know. So. Yeah. So they they, they instead of even going down the MJ route, they could have introduced Felicia and then has a have, have a possible you know love triangle thing happen there. They could have done right? all that, you know, but. You know, didn't didn't work out that way. No, and uh, we never got to see you know the black cat origin. So yeah, and the other thing uh, you know missing from both of these movies that we didn't really talk about is that you know J. Jonah Jameson doesn't make an in-person appearance at all, which is uh, which he called and he offered his services. Right. Yeah, I know. And they they said nope. I mean, you get mention of his name, but that's it. Yeah, so that would have definitely uh, helped this movie along, too. Well, I don't know about that. I think, like I said, they'd have to take out some other things in order to add in Jameson because he's technically another villain for Spider-Man. So Technically. Yes. You know, or um, villain recruiter. Either way you look at it, you know. But... Uh, See, we talked about the 
scenery. We talked about the costumes. Yeah. The CG was, I think, uh, done pretty well. Yeah, agreed. Uh, uh, through per- most of it. Yeah, I'd say particularly the CG around Electro and his character uh, was oh, yes. very good. And uh, Jamie Foxx's acting was like, yeah. Well, like I said, everybody did it. Everybody did a great job. Agreed. Of their acting, but I think the script uh, was where it all suffered and probably caused it not to be an amazing Spider-Man three. I'm guessing. Mm-hmm. So, but then again, like you said, Andrew was getting up there in age too. He was, yeah, and unless you're willing to go, you know, older Peter Parker, which I still would like to see eventually, um, you know, you're not going to be able to have these actors portray him for so long because of the aging thing, because he's a teenager, you know? He, well, uh, let's say we did get, we've already gotten an age Peter Parker, mm-hmm. uh, but it was in the Spider-Verse, right? Yeah, that's right. In the animated that's right. version. That's right. So we we did get an, uh, which was really well. And I understand there's a, another uh, version of that coming out. Yeah, Across the Spider-Verse, the sequel. Yeah. Yeah. So that I'm interested to see in the theater, I yeah, think. we'll definitely do that. Okay. That one uh, would be a good one. Yeah, so. agreed. All right. Uh, any other comments or things that you want to talk about? I don't know. Um Again, I'm kind of conflicted with how the uh, Gwen Stacy arc uh, ended up because I, I understand Peter's motivation for wanting to honor the commitment that he made to his father, uh, to her father, sorry, about staying away from her. But uh, I don't know. Well, because cause at, at the end of the day, I mean, it wasn't, I don't think it was right for Captain Stacy to make that request to Peter, you know, um, it's, it wasn't his place in order for him to kind of dictate how, yeah, because, uh, because it, <laughs> I guess it was for the wrong intention. Like, I understand he wanted to protect his daughter. And ultimately, I guess this movie kind of proves him right that because it's because of Peter Parker, she ends up dying. Um, but to me, it's almost like, I think the fact that he didn't, like, I think if there was a realization that they were going to, be, it was going to be a partnership between them. And, you know, it might not have shaken out the way that it did. I don't know. It, it, I'm trying to, trying to figure out the right way to articulate it, but the, to, to, you know, it's kind of like, it's almost like the whole pl- uh, plot of Ant-Man and the Wasp movie where, you know, Scott tries to do things on his own in Civil War and ends up, really paying the price for it instead of not involving hope. And so, again, I think the same kind of thing where Peter should have, you know. Well, there's a couple of things there. First of all, Captain Stacy, um, you know, could technically 
put his whole family in jeopardy because yeah. he's a big guy. You yeah. know, he's an important guy and his family could be in danger all the time. So right. he's asking Peter to do what he didn't do. Right. You know? And so he got himself into that situation. Yeah. And then he's asking, here he is an adult who has a family yeah. and knows about, you know, trying to keep his family safe. Mm -hmm. And yet he's asking a teenager who does not have anywhere near the experience that he does to uh, sacrifice his love. He's supposed to be a teenager, right? Mm -hmm. in high school so how can you ask him to leave Gwen out of it and then he say okay and then find that he can't you know if he just let things alone who knows if the relationship would have lasted we know it had to last for the movie but yeah. you know typical teenagers no guarantee their relationships last yeah. you know it's very uh uncommon to find uh, couples, even my age, that have been married for lengths of time, that married their high school sweetheart. You know, mm -hmm. I mean, it happens, but it's at even that is, you know, not, it's more of a rarity. I'm going to say the generation before me, maybe that would be, you know, something that was more common. And I think with your era relationship, I don't know how much of that would be even, you know, an idea, right? Would you say? Uh, well, I, I, you know, as far as someone that it, uh, it, I, you I, grew up with all I through could, your life, I, 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 we can probably spend an hour talking about the relationship dynamics that happen generation to generation. Um, I don't well, think we don't we, want to do that. No, but that, that's what I'm saying. Like, so. Okay. Well, Hey, yeah, I, 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 you know, I will reserve me opining about that until we have some actual time to do that. Okay. Okay. Well, maybe we'll, uh, do a episode on superhero couples or something to where you can get that conversation in. I don't know. Okay. You know, that, it's that, a, that's a good idea. I think I think we're gonna have to we'll have to make a list show coming up soon. Okay, yeah, you know that we could think we could discuss that in further detail. Mm -hmm. All right. So, is there anything else you want to talk about this particular episode? I, I, I the the only other thing I'll say is um, you know the the tragic character of Max Dillon how. Um, you know, you have someone who clearly is on the spectrum and, um, his, uh, only real friend in the world is Spider-Man and, um, the, uh, how it's easy for someone like that to either take get taken advantage of in, in Max cases and then, um, you know, kind of, uh, take the gift that he's been given and then use that for destructive means. And so, um, yes, which, uh, yeah. you know, 
Did you have some deleted scenes on your uh, Blu-ray? Probably. Yeah. Oh, you didn't check them out? No. Well, I did on the DVD. Okay. And there was a scene. Uh, you remember the scene where he was in the house and uh, the power went out and he goes like circa 36? Yeah, yeah. Or whatever. Well, they had a deleted scene uh, for his birthday where he actually, his mother is bedridden mm-hmm. and he talks to her and she doesn't even acknowledge his birthday. So, I mean, they really yeah. pushed him as a character. Yeah. I I think they should have left the scene in because it was great, you know? Yeah. Uh, and so, but they really, I don't know, he almost... You know, he had a double personality after he became Electro, you know? Yeah. He, and he loved Spider-Man, then all of a sudden he hated him, you know? Mm. Because of that first confrontation. Sure. So. All right. Well, uh, the only other question I had to ask you is uh, how many times uh, did you step out of the movie as far as like it took you out from the movie itself i mean i don't really keep track of that i think the like i said the bonus... but quite a few times right yeah i, I guess more, more than you know i would expect to in a spider-man film right and you did make it through the whole film right oh, of course yeah i know wasn't easy no um okay well Nothing else that you want to talk about. Um, I'm going to say then it's time to give it a rating then. Yep. Agreed. And uh, I have to say, sadly, that uh, I'm just, I'll give it a five average. Okay. You know, close to becoming below average, but I really loved um jamie fox's perform i loved all the performances actually yeah and i definitely loved his version of electro the makeup and everything i thought that was great sure and you yeah uh i'm gonna give a six slightly better than average uh only due to the performances and the uh the special effects um definitely they you can tell they spent their money and got their money's worth out of that but from a, a plotting and story standpoint um does fall flat so yes really flat thank you yep. okay all right well let's uh, let's wrap it up there thank you all for tuning in this week uh we'll see you next week with something new but uh follow us on social media and uh leave us some feedback what did you think about the film did you like it did you not like it but uh, we'll talk to you next week goodbye god bless goodbye god bless we'd love to hear from you